0: Hello everybody and welcome into the Bible Reading Podcast, episode number 356. Today's big Bible question is, why is might and strength not important in serving the Lord? Well, hello friends. Happy Thursday to you. Today's episode might be a bit on the short side as I am writing and recording it on the 16th of December, which is my wife and I's 25th anniversary. And we are looking forward to celebrating this evening at a local bed and breakfast, so let's get started. Today we will read 2 Chronicles 19 and 20, Zechariah 4, which is our focus passage, John chapter 7 and Revelation chapter 8. One note in our John passage before we focus on Zechariah. We see an interesting statement made by the skeptics of Jesus in John 7, 41 and 42 where they say, surely the Messiah doesn't come from Galilee, does he? Doesn't the scripture say that the Messiah comes from David's offspring and from the town of Bethlehem where David lived? Now, this is interesting because John never answers this charge, and nowhere in... Uh, the first few chapters of John up until this point, does he discuss the birth of Jesus at all, nor reference Luke and Matthew, nor reference Bethlehem. This is the first mention of Bethlehem in the book of John. And of course, Luke and Matthew mention that Jesus is born in Bethlehem, um, but John doesn't. And John never discusses this. And we need to remember here that You might think of the Bible as one book. The Bible is 66 books put together, written at different times by different people. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, different guys. Uh, A couple of them knew each other, but maybe they didn't all know each other. All four of those books were written by different people in different places at different times. So why is this interesting? I think it's a demonstration that the books of the Bible weren't written as fabrications of history. This is a loose end that John doesn't tie up for us, which I believe is a hallmark of authenticity. Well, anyway, on to Zechariah 4. One of the most powerful principles in Scripture is articulated here, so let's read the whole chapter and see if you can identify it. Zechariah chapter 4, verse 1 in the Christian Standard Bible. The angel who was speaking with me then returned and roused me, As one awakened out of sleep, and he asked me, What do you see? And I replied, I see a solid gold lampstand with a bowl at the top. The lampstand also has seven lamps at the top with seven spouts for each of the lamps. There are also two olive trees beside it, one on the right of the bowl and the other on its left. Then I asked the angel who was speaking with me, What are these, my lord? Don't you know what they are? replied the angel who was speaking with me. And I said, No, my lord. So he answered me, This is the word of the Lord, says, Rubbable. Not by strength or by might, but by my spirit, says the Lord of Armies. What are you, great mountain? Before Zerubbabel you will become a plain, and he will bring out the capstone accompanied by shouts of grace, grace to it. Then the word of the Lord came to me, Zerubbabel's hands have laid the foundation of this house, and his hands will complete it. Then you will know that the Lord of Armies has sent me to you. For who despises the day of small things? These seven eyes of the Lord, which scan throughout the whole earth, will rejoice when they see the ceremonial stone in Zerubbabel's hand. And I asked him, What are the two olive trees on the right and left of the lampstand? And I questioned him further, What are the two streams of the olive trees from which the golden oil is pouring through the two golden conduits? Then he inquired of me, Don't you know what these are? No, my lord, I replied. These are the two anointed ones, he said, who stand by the Lord of the whole earth. That's a pretty fascinating passage. Did you catch the powerful principle that's articulated here? Well, it's right there in Zechariah 4, verse 6. This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by strength or by might, but by my spirit, says the Lord of Armies. This principle is articulated in different ways all throughout the entire Bible. For instance, the battle belongs to the Lord. We read in the Old Testament, Jesus teaching on abiding in John 15. Apart from me, he says you can do nothing. Or in the Old Testament, again, some trust in horses, some trust in chariots, but we will trust in the name of the Lord our God. And just a couple of days ago, we saw King Asa of Israel get rebuked by God for turning to the strength of a foreign king for deliverance rather than trusting in the Spirit of God for deliverance. For Old Testament saints, New Testament saints, and Christians living in 2020 on the verge of 2021, this is a constant temptation for us, isn't it? We want to trust in something that we can feel, look at, see, taste, and touch in our fleshly human reasoning we will always seek to fall back on human might and human power because it's more visible, it's more concrete and more tangible, and maybe because it's more controllable by us. But the highest of high human power pales in comparison to the might of the Lord. So let's turn to Brother Charles Spurgeon to help us see this truth a little more clearly. And Spurgeon says, at this hour, a mountain of difficulty or distress or necessity may be in our way, and natural reason sees no path over it or through it or around it. Let faith come in then, and straightway the mountain disappears and becomes a plain. But faith must first hear the word of the Lord, not by might now or by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. This grand truth is a prime necessity for meeting the insurmountable trials of Life. I see that I can do nothing and that all reliance on humans is vanity, not by might. I see that no visible means can be relied on, but the force is in the invisible spirit of God. God alone must work, and men and means must be nothing accounted of. If it be so, then the Almighty God takes up the concerns of His people, then great mountains will be nothing. He can remove worlds as boys toss balls about or drive them with their foot. This power he can lend to me, if the Lord bids me move an alp, I can do it through his name. It may be a great mountain, but even before my feebleness it shall become a plain, for the Lord hath said it. What can I be afraid of with God on my side? And in another book, he writes, A primary qualification for serving God with any amount of success and for doing God's work well and triumphantly is a sense of our own weakness. When God's warrior marches forth to battle strong in his own might, when he boasts, I know that I shall conquer my own right arm and my conquering sword shall get unto me victory, defeat is close by. God will not go forth with that man who marches in his own strength. Well, let's read that again, because that's fantastic. God, says Spurgeon, will not go forth with that man who marches in his own strength. He who reckoneth on victory thus has reckoned wrongly, for it is not by might nor by power, but my spirit, says the Lord of hosts, Those who go forth to fight, boasting of their prowess, shall return with their banners trailed in the dust and their armor stained with disgrace. Those who serve God must serve him in his own way and in his strength, or he will never accept their service. That which man does, unaided by divine strength, God will never own. The mere fruits of the earth he casts away. He will only reap that corn, the seed of which was sown from heaven, watered by grace, and ripened by the Son of divine love. God will empty out all that you have before he will put his own into you. He will first clean out your granaries before he will fill them with the finest of the wheat. The river of God is full of water, but not one drop of it flows from earthly springs. God will have no strength used in his battles, but the strength which he himself imparts. Are you mourning over your own weaknesses? Take courage, for there must be a consciousness of weakness before the Lord will give you victory. Your emptiness is merely the preparation for your being filled, and your casting down is but making you ready to be lifted up. When I am weak, then I am strong. Grace is my shield and Christ is my song. Amen. And thank you for that, Brother Spurgeon. Let's continue. Second Chronicles chapter 20, verse 1. King Jehoshaphat of Judah returned to his home in Jerusalem in peace. Then Jehu, son of the seer Hanani, went out to confront him and said to King Jehoshaphat, Do you help the wicked and love those who hate the Lord? Because of this, the Lord's wrath is on you. However, some good is found in you, for you have eradicated the Asherah poles from the land and have determined in your heart to seek God. Jehoshaphat lived in Jerusalem, and once again he went out among the people from Beersheba to the hill country of Ephraim and brought them back to the Lord, the God of their ancestors. He appointed judges in all the fortified cities of the land of Judah, city by city, then he said to the judges, consider what you are doing, for you do not judge for a man, but for the Lord who is with you in the matter of judgment. And now may the terror of the Lord be on you. Watch what you do, for there is no injustice or partiality or taking bribes with the Lord our God. Jehoshaphat also appointed in Jerusalem some of the Levites and priests and some of the Israelite family heads for deciding the Lord's will And for settling disputes of the residents of Jerusalem, he commanded them, saying, In the fear of the Lord, with integrity and wholeheartedly, you are to do the following. For every dispute that comes to you from your brothers who dwell in their cities, whether it regards differences of blood guilt, law, or commandment, statutes, or judgments, you are to warn them, so they will not incur guilt before the Lord, and wrath will not come on you and your brothers. Do this, and you will not incur guilt." Note that Amariah, the chief priest, is over you in all matters related to the Lord, and Zebadiah, son of Ishmael, the ruler of the house of Judah, in all matters related to the king, and the Levites are officers in your presence. Be strong. May the Lord be with those who do what is good. Chapter 20, verse 1. After this, the Moabites and Ammonites, together with some of the Maonites, came to fight against Jehoshaphat. People came and told Jehoshaphat, a vast number from beyond the Dead Sea and from Edom has come to fight against you. They are already in Hazazen Tamar, that is, in Gedi. Jehoshaphat was afraid and he resolved to seek the Lord. Then he proclaimed a fast for all of Judah who gathered to seek the Lord. They even came from all the cities of Judah to seek him. Then Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah in Jerusalem in the Lord's temple before the new courtyard and he said, Lord, God of our ancestors, are you not the God who is in heaven and do not rule over all the kingdoms of the nations? Power and might are in your hand and no one can stand against you. Are you not our God who drove out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and who gave it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? They have lived in the land and have built you a sanctuary in it for your name and have said, if disaster comes on us, sword or judgment, pestilence or famine, We will stand before this temple and before you, for your name is in this temple. We will cry out to you because of our distress, and you will hear and deliver. Now here are the Ammonites, Moabites, and the inhabitants of Mount Seir. You did not let Israel invade them when Israel came out of the land of Egypt, but Israel turned away from them and did not destroy them. Look how they repay us by coming to drive us out of your possession that you gave us as an inheritance." Our God, will you not judge them? For we are powerless before this vast number that comes to fight against us. We do not know what to do, but we look to you. All Judah was standing before the Lord with their dependents, their wives, and their children. In the middle of the congregation, the Spirit of the Lord came on Jehoshaphat, son of Zechariah, son of Benaniah, son of Jael, son of Madaniah, a Levite from Asaph's descendants. And he said, Listen carefully, all Judah and you inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat. This is what the Lord says. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast number, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Hmm? Tomorrow, go down against them. You will see them coming up the ascent of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the valley facing the wilderness of Jeruel. You do not have to fight this battle. Position yourselves. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. He is with you, Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid or discouraged. Tomorrow, go out to face them, for the Lord is with you. Then Jehoshaphat knelt low with his face to the ground, and all of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell down before the Lord to worship him. Then the Levites from the sons of the Kohathites and the Korahites stood up to praise the Lord God of Israel, shouting loudly. In the morning they got up early and went out to the wilderness of Tekoa. As they were about to go out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, "'Hear me, Judah, and you inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, and you will be established. Believe in his prophets, and you will succeed.'" Then he consulted with the people and appointed some to sing for the Lord and come to praise the splendor of his holiness. When they went out in front of the armed forces, they kept singing, give thanks to the Lord for his faithful love endures forever. The moment they began their shouts and praises, the Lord set an ambush against the Ammonites, Moabites, and the inhabitants of Mount Seir, who came to fight against Judah, and they were defeated. The Ammonites and Moabites turned against the inhabitants of Mount Seir and completely annihilated them. When they had finished with the inhabitants of Seir, they helped destroy each other. When Judah came to a place overlooking the wilderness, they looked for the large army, but there were only corpses lying on the ground. Nobody had escaped. Then Jehoshaphat and his people went to gather the plunder. They found among them an abundance of goods on the bodies and valuable items, so they stripped them until nobody could carry any more. They were gathering the plunder for three days because there was so much, they assembled in the valley of Baraka on the fourth day, for there they blessed the Lord. Therefore, that place is still called the valley of Baraka today. Then all of the men of Judah and Jerusalem turned back with Jehoshaphat, their leader, returning, returning joyfully to Jerusalem, for the Lord enabled them to rejoice over their enemies. So they came into Jerusalem to the Lord's temple with harps, lyres, and trumpets. The terror of God was on all the kingdoms of the lands when they heard that the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel. Then Jehoshaphat's kingdom was quiet, for his God gave him rest on every side. Jehoshaphat became king over Judah. He was 35 years old when he became king, and he reigned 25 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Azubah, daughter of Shilihi. He walked in the ways of Asa his father. He did not turn away from it, but did what was right in the Lord's sight. However, the high places were not taken away. The people had not yet set their hearts on the God of their ancestors. The rest of the events of Jehoshaphat's reign from beginning to end are written in the events of Jehu son of Hanani, which is recorded in the book of Israel's kings. After this, Judah's king Jehoshaphat made an alliance with Israel's king Ahaziah, who was guilty of wrongdoing. Jehoshaphat formed an alliance with him to make ships to go to Tarshish, and they made the ships in Etzion-Geber, then Eleazar, son of Dodavahu of Merashah, prophesied against Jehoshaphat, saying, Because you formed an alliance with Isaiah, the Lord has broken up what you have made. So the ships were wrecked and were not able to go to Tarshish. John chapter 7, verse 1. After this, Jesus traveled in Galilee, since he did not want to travel in Judea because the Jews were trying to kill him. The Jewish festival of shelters was near, so his brothers said to him, leave here and go to Judea so that your disciples can see your works that you are doing, for no one does anything in secret while he's seeking public recognition. If you do these things, show yourselves to the world, for not even his brothers believed in him. Jesus told them, my time is not yet arrived, but your time is always at hand. The world cannot hate you, but it does hate me because I testify it that its works are evil. Go up to the festival yourselves. I'm not going up to this festival because my time is not yet fully come. After he'd said these things, he stayed in Galilee. After his brothers had gone up to the festival, then he also went up, not openly, but secretly. The Jews were looking for him at the festival and saying, where is he? And there was a lot of murmuring about him among the crowd. Some were saying, he's a good man. Others were saying, no, on the contrary, he's deceiving the people. Still, nobody was talking publicly about him for fear of the Jews. When the festival was already half over, Jesus went up to the temple and began to teach. Then the Jews were amazed and said, How is this man so learned since he hasn't been trained? And Jesus answered them, My teaching isn't mine, but it is from the one who sent me. If anyone wants to do his will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking on my own. The one who speaks on his own seeks his own glory, but he seeks the glory of the one who sent him. He who seeks the glory of the one who sent him is true, and there is no unrighteousness in him. Didn't Moses give you the law, yet none of you keeps the law? Why are you trying to kill me? You have a demon, the crowd responded. Who is trying to kill you? I performed one work, and you are all amazed, Jesus answered. This is why Moses has given you circumcision, not that it comes from Moses, but from the fathers, and you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. If a man receives circumcision on the Sabbath so that the law of Moses won't be broken, are you angry at me because I made a man entirely well on the Sabbath? Stop judging according to outward appearances, rather judge according to righteous judgment. Some of the people of Israel, of Jerusalem, were asking, isn't the man they are tr- this the man they are trying to kill? Yet look, he's speaking publicly, and they're saying nothing to him. Can it be true that the authorities know he is the Messiah? But we know where this man is from. When the Messiah comes, nobody will know where he is from. As he was teaching in the temple, Jesus cried out, You know me, and you know where I am from. Yet I have not come on my own, but the one who sent me is true. You don't know him, I know him, because I am from him, and he sent me. Then they tried to seize him, yet no one laid a hand on him because the hour had not yet come. However, many from the crowd believed in him and said, when the Messiah comes, he won't perform any more signs than this man has done, will he? The Pharisees heard the crowd murmuring about these things, and so the chief priests and the Pharisees sent servants to arrest him. Then Jesus said, I am only with you for a short time, then I am going to the one who sent me. You will look for me, but you will not find me, and where I am, you cannot come." Then the Jews said to one another, Where does he intend to go that we can't find him? He doesn't intend to go to the Jewish people dispersed among the Greeks and teach the Greeks, does he? What is this remark he made? You will look for me, and you will not find me, and where I am you cannot come. On the last and most important day of the festival, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. The one who believes in me, as the scripture has said, will have streams of living water flow from deep within him. He said this about the Spirit. Those who believed in Jesus were going to receive the Spirit, for the Spirit had not yet been given, because Jesus had not yet been glorified. When some of the crowd heard these words, they said, This truly is the prophet. Others said, This is the Messiah, but some said, Surely the Messiah doesn't come from Galilee, does he? Doesn't the scripture say that the Messiah comes from David's offspring and from the town of Bethlehem where David lived? So the crowd was divided because of him. Some of them wanted to seize him, but no one laid hands on him. Then the servants came to the chief priests and Pharisees who asked them, Why didn't you bring him? And the servants answered, No man has ever spoken like this. Then the Pharisees responded to them, Are you fooled too? Have any of the rulers or Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd which doesn't know the law is accursed. Nicodemus, the one who came to him previously and was one of them, said to them, Our law doesn't judge a man before it hears from him and knows what he's doing, does it? You aren't from Galilee too, are you? They replied, Investigate, you will see that no prophet arises from Galilee. Then each went to his own house. Revelation chapter 8, verse 1. When he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. Then I saw the seven angels who stand in the presence of God. Seven trumpets were given to them. Another angel with a golden incense burner came and stood at the altar. He was given a large amount of incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar in front of the throne. The smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints went up in the presence of God from the angel's hand. The angel took the incense burner. "...filled it with fire from the altar, and hurled it to the earth. There were peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake, and the seven angels, who had the seven trumpets, prepared to blow them. The first angel blew his trumpet, and hail and fire, mixed with blood, were hurled to the earth. So a third of the earth was burned up, a third of the trees were burned up, and all of the green grass was burned up. The second angel blew his trumpet, and something like a great mountain ablaze with fire was hurled into the sea." So a third of the sea became blood, a third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. The third angel blew his trumpet, and a great star, blazing like a torch, fell from heaven. It fell on a third of the rivers and springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood, and a third of the waters became Wormwood. So many of the people died from the waters because they had been made bitter. The fourth angel blew his trumpet, and a third of the sun was struck, a third of the moon, and a third of the stars, so that a third of them were darkened. A third of the day was without light and also a third of the night. I looked and heard an eagle flying high overhead, crying out in a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to those who live on the earth because of the remaining trumpet blasts that the three angels are about to sound. Well, Lord have mercy. Well, friends, may the Lord bless you. May he keep you. May he cause his face to shine on you. May he protect you and guide you by his word and spirit. Good day to you and Godspeed.